today we're talking about finding God's will. And for some of us, I know you may be in a place, and I remember being in this place myself, of thinking, you know, God, what is your will for me? What, what am I supposed to be doing? What am I on this planet for? At the time I was living in Franklin, Louisiana, that's where I was born and raised, I remember saying, God, why did you put me in Franklin? <laughs> well, I couldn't be born to the rich family in Lafayette. Because, <laughs> you know, when you live in Franklin, Lafayette's like the metropolis, right? And so, but I remember wrestling with the idea of what is my will? What is, what is God's will? What is my purpose for being on this planet? Have you ever asked that question? Can you just be honest with me this morning? Raise your hand, make me feel good. Okay, good. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a question I believe all of us need to ask at some point in our lives. And it's a question that all of us need to get answered at some point in our lives, right? I mean, you really need to have the answer before it's too late of what am I here for? What is God's plan for me? What is his purpose for me? Right? And you got to know, I mean, you, maybe you came from a church like I came from where I was raised in where they didn't talk about what God's purpose was. They were more interested in telling you what you couldn't do. And they made, they made Christianity very boring. And they made it very stale, right? Because all they told you was not to do this and not to do that. How I many of you know that gets old after a while, right? And then I met Pastor Bubba. He's, you know, and he's the biggest man I know. And he was the first man to ever start telling me what I could do. And I was just like, God, thank you. Thank you for putting me in a place where I've got people around me that are telling me what I can do instead of what I can't do. Now, it's important to know what you can't do. Okay, I'm not discounting that, but I want you to understand that there's a whole lot more to do than to not do. That'll settle in by this afternoon, hopefully. So if you've been wondering what God's will is today, today I'm hoping that we can find God's will. Amen. How many of you would like to know? If, if you don't know, how many of you would like to know? God, what is your will for me? Well, I hope to accomplish that today in the book of James. We've been in the, in the book of James for seven weeks now. This is like one of the longest series we've ever done. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like we could just keep doing James because it's so easy to get up here and say, hey, welcome back to James. I don't have to try to remember a new title. I don't have to do anything like that. We've been in James for seven weeks, and it's, it's a good one. So today we're going to tackle all of chapter four in the book of James. And Sam, Sam Andrews said I could stay till two o'clock. He, 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 uh, he spoke for the rest of you. So we'll be here for a while. Scared? You scared yet? Come on, if you're scared, say you're scared. Maybe you've said some things like this. Maybe you said, surely God has a plan for me. I just don't know it. Or maybe you said, God has a purpose for me, but I can't figure it out. What about your career choice? What about which college to go to? What about who to marry? You ever wrestle with that one? I mean, seriously, you, you need answers for these questions, right? Right, Lindsay? I mean, you just, we all need answers to these questions. Am, am, I, am I making the right career choice? Am I, am I going to the right college? Am I pursuing the right dream? Am I going to marry the right person? Is this person the right person? Lindsay's not getting married. Don't worry. It's, she's got her daddy, her mama, and me to worry about. So that brother's got to give some approval. But it's important to ask those questions. And, and this is how I was raised, just to let you know kind of where I'm, I'm coming from this morning. I was raised in a place where I was taught to, to study God, God's word, which is very important. Study, 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 apply, apply, apply. 
But I was never taught that God tells you in the everyday what to do. Right? And I hope to God that I've been teaching you and, and everything that you've heard me say is that, is that, you know what, you can go to God and he can tell you where to go. Because this is what I started wrestling with. I know this, but this don't tell me if I need to eat at McDonald's or not. Actually, it probably does. It says you need to have some wisdom. That was a bad example. This doesn't tell me where to go to work. <laughs> That's that whole, uh, <laughs> this deadly thing shall not hurt me except for McDonald's. But... But this doesn't tell you where to work. This doesn't tell you who to marry. It doesn't tell you what job to take. It doesn't tell you to invest money in this or that, right? But the Holy Spirit is there to help us, right? And then you you got God's will that comes along. And so when you understand and you know God's will and his purpose for you, you can then make those decisions in line with knowing what his purpose is for you, right? Let's say you have a burden for women that are battered, okay? And you know that God just seems like everywhere you turn, you're running into a battered woman, and, and you're just God just uses you in a mighty way to just speak hope and life and encouragement into that woman. And if, if that's you, then, then here's your sign. That's your purpose, right? So if you know that's what your purpose is, when you go to make decisions, your, your decisions are going to line up with your purpose, Right? They should. I mean, you shouldn't be scattered-brained to where you go, okay, God, you made me passionate about, about battered women, but I'm going to jump into men's ministry. Leave that to the men, okay? So in studying God's will, I, I've divided it into two pieces, and there's actually two parts of God's purpose in our life. And the first one is, is our life-defining purpose, okay? It's our life-defining purpose. This is what you're going to be remembered for at your funeral, when was the last funeral you went to and, and they all talked about how so-and-so was and so what so-and-so did? And, you know, because you, you remember the good things about people. Oh, I remember he was such a giver. Or I can remember my mom's funeral. It was, I can remember exactly what the preacher said. He said, you know, there's one thing about Virginia that I'll never forget. He said, if I ever had trouble getting something or getting something done, he said, I could call Virginia and she would, she would get it done. She was a go-getter. She could make things happen. She just she knew how to ask the right questions. She knew how to be strong enough. So my mom's life-defining purpose was that she was able, she was a hard worker, but she was able to get things done that nobody else could get done. You follow me? How many of you remember Esther from the Bible? Esther's life-defining purpose was that she saved her nation. She saved her people. She married the king, and then she went into his room and, 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 and told him what was going on, right? You remember the story? And she, in turn, saved her nation. So she's remembered for saving her people. President Lincoln. President Lincoln was remembered for, for uh, preserving our nation. That's what he's known for, for preserving our nation. How many of you have ever heard the name Mordecai Ham? Raise your hand. Mordecai Ham? Y'all know who Mordecai Ham is? Somebody tell me who Mordecai Ham is. Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham. Nope. Mordecai Ham was the man who preached the message when Billy Graham gave his life to Christ. That's who Mordecai Ham is. Do you know that at that moment when he preached that message that day, he had no idea that his life-defining purpose was to, to get Billy Graham saved? It wasn't until Billy Graham became famous that Mordecai Ham realized what his life-defining purpose was. 
right? It's good, isn't it? And so that's why I look at these, at all of our children's ministers and our children's workers, and I go, man, you got the greatest ministry in our church. Because you have no idea how many Billy Grahams are sitting out there. Got a, got a, a, a children's worker about to pull her hair out. Right? Come on, I was one of those kids. We used to have a Sunday school teacher who was a police officer. I finally realized why. It was a bunch of boys in that class. <laughs> he just seemed to graduate every time we graduated. We couldn't get away from that guy. But most people didn't realize that Mordecai Ham was the guy that led Billy Christ, I mean Billy Graham to the Lord. Isn't that awesome? But now you know, right? Now you know that Mordecai Ham, his life-defining purpose, the thing that he was remembered for at his funeral was, you know, he's the guy that preached the message when Billy Graham gave his life to Christ. Billy Graham? Are you serious? Yeah. I mean, I'd like to be that guy, right? Get a little credit for Billy Graham. Come on, right on his curtail. But sometimes we don't know what our life-defining purpose is until later in life, right? That's not something that just pops up from day one normally, does it? And sometimes it sneaks up on you and it's found in a crisis, Sometimes your life-defining purpose is found in a crisis where something breaks down around you and then something inside, kind of like Esther's situation, where something inside of you rises up to the occasion and you realize, oh, man, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, right? So don't ever take for granted a crisis because in that crisis, you could possibly find your life-defining purpose. Amen? So some of you may be discouraged with this right now, but let me tell you something. God is omniscient. That means he knows everything. This is one thing that God never says. Oh, shoot, I didn't see that coming. God never says that, right? I mean, he never, ever says it. He goes, oh, God, slipped right. And he, when's the last time he came, you say, man, Cheryl, sorry, baby. I didn't see that one coming. Well, you forget. When's the last time God did that to you? It doesn't happen, right, because he's omniscient. He knows everything. So here's the deal. You need to hang on to this for a minute. Here's the deal. He's already working on the solution before you even realize there's a problem. He's already working on the solution before you even realize there's a problem. And so here's the secret. Get on the solution side of things instead of staying on the problem side of things, and you'll be better off. So if, you, if your mind changes today, okay, if our mind changes today, we go to, if, if something's going to happen in my life, if a breakdown or a crisis or a problem's going to occur, God's already worked on the solution. If you leave here today with that, and you get that down in your spirit, something's going to change. We ain't even finished with the message yet, Right? Because you're going to start realizing that when something breaks down, God's already on it. You may be surprised, but he's already chilled out. Because he's already fixed the problem. He's already made the solution. You see, for some of us, we've come from a bad past. We've come from maybe some families that were rough. Maybe some things have happened to us that honestly are just really unfair. But let me tell you something. God's already got the solution. Some of us, I, I'll even say most of us in this room are wounded, hurt, and broken in some area. And let me tell you something. Get past the problem and get on the solution and let God heal you. 
Amen? He's already got the solution. He's already going to put you in a place to find healing. You know, this church is going to be a place of healing. God's sending people here that are broken, wrecked, been damaged, been discounted. And God's sending them to us. So I'm looking at all of you and you go, why is he looking at me when he says that? You figure it out. But God's designed this church to be a place of healing. Amen? A place of restoration. Because let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you what you can do. Amen? I'm going to tell you what you can do. You've heard me say it. You can go further. You can do this. I'm a pusher. Good. The second purpose we find is a life-encompassing purpose. And that's what we're going to talk about today is your life-encompassing purpose. This is the thing, that the purpose that encompasses your whole life. This is what you're supposed to do every day. This is what you're supposed to be doing every day, okay? The problem we've got is some people get so consumed with their life-defining purpose that they miss out on the life-encompassing purpose. Are you tracking with me? There's a whole lot of big words in here, 50-cent words all over the place, all right? But your, your life-defining purpose is the one thing you're going to be remembered for, but your life-encompassing purpose is what you're here for every day. Okay, there's a big difference. And most of us fall in love with the life-defining purpose, and we don't pay attention to the life-encompassing purpose. You tracking? Just shake your head, and I'll keep going. Otherwise, I'm going to stay where I'm at. Acts chapter 17, verse 26 says this. It says, from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. God determined when you would be born and when you would die. Okay? He also determined where you were going to live and what time you were going to live there. You ever wonder why you weren't born two centuries ago? You know, the good old days or whatever it was that everybody talks about, those good old days. You ever wonder why you were, you were born here and born now for the purpose that God has for your life. Your purpose has to do with where you are when you are. Right? So stop being frustrated because you were born into the family you were born into or the city you were born into or the time you were born into and, and, and just go on and live the purpose that God has for you. Right? Just know that you were built, created, and designed for this time. There's a gift inside of you that the world around you needs right now. It's your life-encompassing purpose. You know, what's funny is most of the time your life-defining purpose can be found in doing your life-encompassing purpose. You know what that means? That means when you're doing what God wants you to do every day, when you're walking with the Lord, that's what it means to walk with the Lord, is to be, is to be in tune with him, to be in a nice, healthy relationship with him where you're walking with him. Come see, Cheryl. Let me show you something real quick. She got a brand new shirt on and a new little necklace. It looks great, doesn't it? But you see, this is what, that's showing it off, baby. It's a birthday present. So, so this, this is what it looks like. Okay, you're walking with the Lord. It's a healthy relationship. Okay? It's, it's, it's walking with him. When you're walking with him, you can hear him better, right? She can hear me. I don't have to scream because God's not going to scream. Right? She can hear my whisper. Sometimes we say we can't hear God because we're too far away from God. Right? 
when we need to get a little closer. My kids like to tell me things when they're 50 feet behind me. I'm like, hey, hey, you got to catch up, baby. Come on. I can't hear you back there. Right? So when you're walking in a healthy relationship with God and you're doing what he has for you to do every day, it's in that moment that you discover your life-defining purpose. Right? So what it means is you need to be busy. Thank you, sweetheart. You need to be busy about doing what he's telling you to do today so that in doing that, you discover your life-defining purpose. Amen? Instead instead of trying to skip the process, instead of trying to overcome and just skip over or be exempt from the life-encompassing purpose to get to the life-defining purpose so that you can get some fame, instead of doing that, get busy about the life-encompassing purpose. Does that help? It's good? So what is God's will for you every day? Glad you asked that question. Number one, this is his will for you every day. Acknowledge the fact that you need help. I just slapped all you prideful people in the face. Acknowledge the fact that you need help. Look at your neighbor and say, see, I've been telling you, you need help. Look at him and tell him. Look, now look back at the other one and say, see, I've been telling you, you need some help too. You thought I was crazy. I was led by the spirit when I told you that. We ain't going to talk about wood spirit. But. So to find God's will for your life every day, number one, you need to acknowledge the fact that you need help. You need to realize that you're not going to discover it on your own. Right? You need his help. His will is found in his relationship. Right? His will is not found outside of his relationship. That's my will. His will is found inside of his relationship. James 4 verse 1 to 2 says this. Now, now, let me explain something to you. When you read James chapter 4, it's a little wishy-washy. But you really, I think it's, it's done that way to make us dig in deep because he starts talking about all kind of crazy stuff. But he's talking about finding the will of God. So we're going to go, it's going to get a little crazy, but just hang tight. James 4, 1 to 2. Watch what he says. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? I thought we were talking about the will of God. What's causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You, wanna, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what, of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. When you don't have what you want, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. It's pretty messed up, isn't it? Yeah, I thank God I'm in this church. Right? I mean, this is a great church. There's no messed up people. But there was a few people over here this morning. Okay, just a few messed up. Well, actually, <laughs> there's some over here too. And, and, and honestly, we, I'm messed up too. Right? I mean, we're all messed up. We fight, don't we? Let's just get real this morning. We wage war. We quarrel. We backbite. Come on. We have feelings that people step on. Right? James is addressing the church, and he just goes off into this thing. Why are you quarreling? Why are you fighting? Why are you wanting what your neighbor has? Why are you more interested in what somebody else got than what I got? Because that's the reality is we fall in love with other people's stuff instead of falling in love with God. And he says, and and, then you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. 
You ever, you ever see kids, like when they're real young, maybe you put them in two little, what those, those little stroller things we used to have, the, uh, no, the bouncy thing, the, um, the little fun jump. They could jump around and had all the little trinkets all the way around, right? And if you had two kids in the same room and they each had their own, it, it's funny, but they would both cruise around until they found each other. Then they would fall in love with what the other one had on theirs, right? Maybe they had the latest edition, Right, and they had the little elephant that made the wicked, 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 wicked. It drives you nuts, right? And, and so, so what did the baby do? He went to that one. He's, he's trying to get his, and he's like, "No, get off of mine." It's the same way as adults. Can I tell you? I've been in a church where there was almost a church split over a punch bowl. I kid you not, a punch bowl. Somebody almost got punched over the punch bowl. They had meetings. They would call meetings in the church over the punch bowl. I'm serious. And it sounds silly, doesn't it? But won't we fight for some of the silliest things around? I mean, just let somebody cut you off in traffic. What happens? I mean, you're whistling one minute, and you're you're, you're an expert in sign language the next minute, right? I mean, you're just like, what happened to your joy? Left the car. Right. But you got to acknowledge the fact that you need help. We all need help. We all need God's help. You're not exempt from if you don't think you need God's help, then you really need God's help because you're walking in an abundant amount of pride. Right. The minute you think you're fine. Get ready. So James describes the church, they're coveting, they're quarreling, they're desiring to have more. And as I'm, I'm reading that, I, I, my thought to myself is, man, I'm glad I'm a part of our Savior's church. And we don't do that around here, right? I seen a bald guy the other day. I was in church in Jennings last week. There, I was in the back while they were worshiping. And there's a bald guy standing there. And he's got his hands up. And the guy in front of him has a good-looking head of hair. And so the bald guy, you know, after a while, he kind of puts his hands down. And he's just kind of looking at that guy. And I'm going, man, what's this cat going to do? Because no bouncer in me wanted to kick in. I'm like, I'm about to bring up a fight in church. And this guy just starts shaking his head. And he's looking at that, that guy with a good set of hair. And he's, he just really wants the guy's hair. Isn't it crazy? You believe that? You know who that was? Who told you that? But let me help all you balding people out, okay? Let me help you out with something. This helped me out when I, when I became bald. When God looks down on man, those of you who have a good-looking hair, he sees hair. When God looks down on me, he sees his reflection. Come on, that needs to help somebody out. Everybody's coming to church bald next week, even the ladies. I want God to see my ref- his reflection. funny but it's true right sometimes we're envious of other people and man don't you hate that about yourself don't you hate that that thing's inside of you come on you know when it comes out you know what your little thing is don't you just hate that when you get caught up in that and i remember my kids when they were real small just toddlers and you, you know their favorite place is the kitchen right 
they all want to go to the kitchen. Why? Because they want to get in the cabinets. I mean, you've got a whole room full of toys that they don't want to go play with. They, they wore the boxes out that the toys came in, and now they want to get to the kitchen, and they want to dig in the cabinets. And I remember one time my, one of my kids, I don't remember who it was, but they were in the kitchen, and they were just starting to strut around. Maybe they were crawling or whatever, and, and they wanted to get into the cabinet with the chemicals. Now, you know, you, that's the one you're supposed to have a lock on. So I got up, and I went, and I put my knee on the door, and I stood there. And I remember they looked up at me, and they were like, and they would try to pull it, and they could, right? they try to pull it, like I'm supposed to help them, right? But I'm not going to help them. Why? Because what's inside the cabinet is going to hurt them, you see. Sometimes God's got his knee against the door that you're trying to open, and you can't understand why that door won't open, and it's because whatever's inside of that door is going to kill you. And it's really called love, and it's really not the fact that God's a party pooper. It's the fact that God's here to protect you, to cover you, and to love you. And so if he keeps the door closed, maybe you need to go on to something else, right? But we want other things, and sometimes we don't get them because we don't ask God for them. And sometimes we ask God for them, and we still don't get them, right? Doesn't that mess up your relationship with God? I prayed. I said, I called it out from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and it never came, God. If it didn't come, it probably wasn't for you, right? You, you, maybe you wasn't ready to handle it. Maybe you weren't prepared for it. Maybe you weren't mature enough to handle it yet, right? So he protects us, but we need his help. We need him to look out for us because you know what? I don't know what the perfect will of God is for me. Sometimes I go to doors and I try to open them and they don't open. I do my due diligence and I pray and I pull and I pray and I pull. And if they don't open, I go, okay, (laughs) that was not ready. Right? And then you move on to something else. Sometimes I don't know what his perfect will is. Sometimes I don't know all the details. Sometimes it's a kind of a, a feel and search kind of a thing. Is it okay to say that? To just be real? Sometimes I don't know exactly what he wants me to do. But it doesn't mean I stop walking. It doesn't mean I, keep, I don't keep doing what I'm supposed to. Because you see, your life-encompassing purpose is to love people around you. Right? It's to spread the gospel. It's to make disciples. It's what Jesus commanded us to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you don't know what your life-defining purpose is, keep on doing the things you know to do. Right? And then in doing that, you just be patient and you wait for God to show you what the next step is. But you should never find yourself without something to do because somebody always needs to hear the gospel. Somebody always needs to experience Jesus' love. Right? You should never get bored in Christianity. Amen? Shouldn't. I mean, there's plenty of stuff to do. You ever have an employee that always needed to be told what to do? How'd you feel about that person? Not too good, right? I mean, you come around the corner and they're standing there. What are you doing? I'll do that. I'll finish it. You finished it? Yeah. Well, why aren't you doing something else? You didn't tell me. Right? But aren't we like that with God? Come on. 
That hit like a brick. Nobody even barked. God's looking out for us, and he's saying, you need help. You need my help. You need to stay in tune with me. And let me tell you something. You've got to stay close to him. You've got to stay close. To find his will and to stay in his will, you've got to stay close to him. It's important. It's vital. To be a Christian, you've got to be close. So, so how do we do that? How do we stay close? How do we, how do we find what our purpose is? How do we ask for help? How do we get help from God because we need help? James 4, 7 to 10 tells us, so humble yourselves before God. Okay, that's a good thing. Humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He didn't say chase the devil. He didn't give you a devil chasing ministry. He don't want you to waste your time chasing the devil. Amen. So you need to get off of that hell raising ministry. You think you got up chasing the devil. You don't need to chase the devil. You need to chase God and you need to chase his people. When the enemy comes against you, the Bible says, just resist him. Come on, that's just, just resist him. He's like, he's like a little worm. I mean, you just, it's like you catch him by his forehead. He's going, come on, let me get you. Let me get you. Let me get you. Ah. Right? And you just resist him. Just hold him back. It'd be like Ethan trying to tackle me. I'd be like, come on, boy. Serious. Don't waste your time on him. Resist him. And the Bible says he will flee. So remain humble or humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. That's a good one. You want to be close to God? Go close to him. And his word says that he will come close to you. That means that if you'll sit down at the table, maybe in the morning and say, hey, Lord, can we meet? You want to know what happens? Okay, what you want to talk about? I'm here, buddy. What's up? Right? You come close to him, and the Bible says he will come close to you. So that's why we can turn around and say that you're as close to God as you want to be. Right? He says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Humble yourself. You know, you have to humble yourself to make that statement of point one that you're going to have to ask for help. (laughs) You got to humble yourself, seriously. I know some people, they'll never ask anybody for help. And I used to be like that. That's how I was raised. You don't don't ask nobody for help. You man up and do that yourself, right? I learned. You ask for help. I need how I'm asking. Right? Right, Ethan? Ethan helps me all the time. So number one, acknowledge the fact that you need help. Number two, we're discovering God's will. Believe the best about everyone you meet. Believe the best about everyone you meet. Sounds good, right? Sounds like butter. I mean, it's just smooth as can be. I mean, I just, just believe the best about everybody you meet. Right? I mean, it just flows so sweetly. But is it easy to do? It's pretty hard, isn't it? Why is that? Is it because we've got a tendency to judge people? We've got a tendency to to maybe put restrictions on people? 
Maybe sometimes we see too much of the mess and so we can't believe the best about them. That's why your, your immediate family doesn't like you too much when you found Jesus is because you changed and they don't like that. Because they know all your garbage. That's why Jesus couldn't go to his hometown and do many miracles. Because they didn't honor the thing that he was. Right? So we got to believe the best about everyone we meet. Refuse to judge. Refuse to be critical. Just believe the best. Will you get burned? Yes. You will get burned. People will step all over you. But more times than not, if you refuse to judge and believe the best about people, you will see good things happen in our life more than you will get burned. Right? But it feels so bad when we get burned, right? Everybody's going to burn. One person burns you, everybody's going to burn you. Everybody goes in the same classification. Burner. Burner. I ain't believing the best about nobody ever again. You ever said that? So why believe the best about everyone? Number one, it's not your responsibility to judge others. I mean, that's just truth. That's just straight up gospel truth right there. It's not your responsibility to judge others. Stop trying to do God's job. Amen? You know what stress is? Stress is when you, when you take responsibility for something you've never been given authority for. That's stress. When you take responsibility for something that you weren't given authority for. You know, sometimes your boss can put stress on you. And some of you go, hey, yes, he can. But sometimes he can. And you know how he does it? When he gives you responsibility without authority. Right? So when he tells you, I want you to, I want you to take on this new uh, group of people in the company. And you go, okay, I'll take them on. And then you, so you take on the new group of people, but you have no authority. He never comes to that group of people and says, hey, Jamie's in charge. Listen to him. He never backs up any of my decisions, right? As soon as something fails, he chews me out in front of everybody else. That causes stress. Because I wasn't given the authority for the responsibility. So when we take God's responsibility in judging other people, we get stressed out over those people because we don't have the authority to judge. Right? Now, there's only a few people that actually have the authority to judge on this planet. Number one, it's a judge or a jury. Right? In, in, in circumstances of church discipline, the Bible says that we can judge. And as a parent, you've been given the God-given right to judge Your kids, not everybody else's. Come on, somebody. But you've never been given that responsibility to judge the people around you. James 4, 11 to 12 says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether or not it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? You know what he just said in all that? You need to resign as general manager of the universe and let God do his job of judging people. Right? I call this the grandparent principle, and it kind of applies to this situation. You know, as a parent, I'm not a grandparent, but I listen to grandparents now because my days are quickly coming. 
But most people that have become grandparents say that they wish they could have skipped parenting and go straight into grandparenting. Any grandparents would agree with that, right? I mean, if you could just skip parenting and go straight into grandparenting, it'd be awesome. But the grandparent principle goes like this. The parent's responsibility is to love, discipline, correct, instruct, and direct their children, right? It's the grandparent's responsibility to love the grandchildren and to have a candy jar. That's it. I mean, that's the only responsibility they have is just to love them and spoil them and then send them home, right? It's the grandparent principle. You know, the same thing applies to us. It's God's responsibility as the parent to love, instruct, correct, direct, and, 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 and correct, and all those things, people. And it's us to be like a grandparent and to love people and to give them the goodness of God. That ought to free somebody up. You're not responsible for somebody's outcome. You're responsible to love. And to give what God tells you to give. It's simple. Right? Does that sound, is this stressful being a grandparent? For you grandparents, is this stressful? Is it nearly as stressful as being a parent? Okay, there you go. Point proven. Right? Just be like a grandparent. Just love folks. Just love them. Stop talking about people. Stop stirring up all this trash. Just love them. Love them. Let the parent be the parent. So why we believe the best about everyone, number two, when you judge others, you're wrong most of the time. Oh, isn't that true, right? Why is that true? That's true because we judge people's motives, don't we? We judge them by their actions and we call their actions their motives. Seriously. And we get it wrong most of the time. Can I just tell you, that's a hard thing to do is to stop judging people. Can I be honest with you? I judge people. And here's the crazy, I judge my closest friends more than I judge anybody else. Everybody's going, I don't want to be your friend. Just lost all my friends right there. One moment. God, good job, Jamie. What'd you do at church today? Got rid of all my friends. <laughs> Ran them off. They don't love me no more because I judge them. But it's true. I judge my friends. I judge the people closest to me harder than I judge other people. And, and, and you just got to back off. You know why? You know why I judge people so hard sometimes? Is because I want what's best for them. Right? But in wanting what's best for them, I get confused in thinking that I got what's best for them. <laughs> Some of you just like me. <laughs> I ain't the only one. But I think that my way is the best way. And can I be honest with you? I've missed it more than I've got it right. You know how I know? Because when I shut up and I stop judging them and God comes in and God does his thing, I go, dang, that was good. Why didn't I think of that? Because you ain't God. Right? He didn't call me to be a judge. He called me to love my neighbors myself. Right? So when you judge others, you're wrong most of the time. Watch what 1 Corinthians says. So don't go ahead of the master and jump to conclusions with your judgments before all the evidence is in. When he comes, he will bring out the, in the open and place in evidence all kinds of things we never even dreamed of. Isn't that a good verse? Don't jump ahead of the master. So until Jesus comes back, 
practice not judging. Just love people where they are, how they are. Right? You know, sometimes you just got to enjoy people in the dirtiest place of their life. Went and helped Mark and Itaj move this weekend. And so everybody's sweating. This is an analogy. It's pretty gross. Everybody's sweating. I mean, everybody's shirts are soaked. You know, I mean, the, the moving sofas and beds and dressers and all this stuff. And at the end, you know, Mark and Itaj are leaving. And we're leaving and going our way. It's kind of like you want to give them a big hug. But you kind of go, ah, air hug. <laughs> right? Because, I mean, I know my stuff stinks. And I, but I can live with my stink. I can't live with somebody else's stink. And if somebody else's stink gets on me, then I smell that all the way home. Just saying. So I, I went up to Taj, and I wanted to give her a big old hug because I was kind of emotional for me, you know. But I was kind of like, love you, Taj. But you know what? Sometimes we just got to love people where they are. Right? Because let me remind you of this. One day long ago or a short time ago, you were jacked up yourself. You had this funky little stench on you. You thought you smelled good. You called it perfume. But it stunk. And people loved you into the kingdom, right? Number three, why we believe the best about people is when you believe the best, it allows you to engage in the law of reciprocity. (laughs) I'll get you some of that word. The law of reciprocity, I'll spell it for you, R-E-C-I-P-R-O-C-I-T-Y. C-I-T-Y. It's on the screen. Thank you, Wayne. You just saved me from messing up, and it's right in front of me. But when you believe the best about people, it allows you to engage in the law of reciprocity. We'll call it the law of R. Social, psych- social psychologists say that when somebody does something nice for you, you will have a deep-rooted physical urge to do something nice in return. Would you agree that that's true? Somebody tells you hi, you're more likely to tell them hi, right? Somebody comes to shake your hand, you're more likely to shake their hand. Somebody opens the door for you, and there's another set of doors, they may scurry around and try to get the door for you. It's the law of reciprocity. I got it right. So when that happens, when you believe the best about other people, you start getting back what you're giving away. Right? It starts reciprocating. That means it comes back. How many of you know what a a reciprocating saw is? It's a saw with a long blade, and it, it, it does this. It goes back and forth, right? Back and forth, back and forth. When you believe the best about people, people will start to believe the best about you. When you start doing good to others, others will start doing good to you, right? And we all know that's true. We just, we probably just learned it in life that that's true. It's the law of reciprocity. Let's look at what Jesus says in in, in Luke chapter six. He says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others and, and it will come back against you or it will come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Y'all, get you some of that. You know what that means? That means that you determine how other people are going to treat you. 
you determine how much of the goodness of other people you're going to get back by how much you give. You know, the Bible says if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly, right? I don't know too many people that are just what we call today nice people, but people that are just good-hearted in God and do things for people. I don't know too many of them that get a hard time from other people. I got a great uncle. He's a hero of mine. And he used to sneak around when he retired. He would sneak around with his tractor or his lawnmower. He'd put his lawnmower in the back of his Volkswagen Golf. And he would run around. And when people were at work, and he would cut their grass. I mean, he's like 50, 60 years old. He'd cut their grass. Or he'd go with his tractor. If they had like a rock driveway, he would go grade the driveway off. Or if they were doing dirt work, he would slip in there and slick everything off. And then he would throw out some grass seed. Just it's like he was like a mission impossible kind of guy for for God. I mean, seriously, he was just he was a secret agent. OK. And, and can I be honest with you? Nobody ever had anything bad to say about him. He didn't get much slack from people. Everybody loved him. Because he gave generously. And so because he gave generously and he judged not. This is the thing that used to burn me up is that I was the good grandkid. I was the golden child, though everybody thought. And my cousins, who didn't know how to hide it as good as I did, he would do more for them than he would do for me. And I would be like, hey, man, they're rotten. What you doing something for them for? I'm the one that deserves it. I've been a good boy, right? But that's how he operated. He got around the people that he that everybody else was judging, and he blessed them. He just blessed them. And, man, he got a whole lot back in return. I can't wait to see his mansion in heaven, I'll be honest with you. He's my hero. He's the reason I take my kids sometimes when we go sneak a blessing on people. Because I just want to live like he lived. The poor old man, he died. He was missing fingers and had scars all over him. He's, he had a rough life, but he just gave. So number three, in the midst of it all, number one says that you're going you're gonna to acknowledge the fact that you need help. Number two, you're going to believe the best about everyone you meet so that you can get that in return and so that you can spread the love of Jesus. And number three is you're going to consult with God before you do anything. Consult with God before you do anything. The fill in the blank is anything. You ought to write that in capital letters. Because some of us believe that we only need to pray and ask God for help or consult God whenever it's a big decision. Not when it's a small decision. Might would save me from going to McDonald's, right? Anybody here ever make a wrong decision? Anybody here ever made a decision decision that you thought was perfect and right and then it turned out to be wrong? Anybody ever do that? I mean, this was like, this was bank, baby. I mean, you, this is, this is where it's at. I'm throwing all my cards in and it's wrong. Anybody invest in real estate in 2006? If you did, you found out in 2007, you were wrong, right? Let me tell you a story of a guy. Have you ever heard of Ronald Wayne? Anybody heard of Ronald Wayne? Ronald Wayne was the third guy in Apple when Apple got started. You had Steve and then Steve Jobs, right? And then there was this guy called Ronald Wayne. So Ronald Wayne makes one of the first investments into Apple when it's first getting off the ground in the garage or wherever it was. And his initial investment was $1,500 for a 10% stake of Apple. Now, after two weeks, he got nervous. 
and he sold it. You see where this is going already. He sold it for $2,300, which netted him an $800 profit. If he would have hung on to that till today, anybody want to guess where it would be? $50 billion. He might should have consulted God before he sold his stake. Just saying. James 4, 13 to 15 says, look here, you who say today and tomorrow we're going to a certain town and or we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a great profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. You see what James is getting at? He's getting at this independent type of spirit that says, you know what, I'm going to do what I want, and then I'm going to believe that God's going to bless it. I've been guilty of that in business. I made decisions that I didn't consult God on first, and they turned out to be bad decisions. That cost me a lot of money, and even some small decisions. And so what James is telling the people is that you need to humble yourself. You need to consult with God before you do anything, anything. If you have a financial decision, ask God. Instead of, ask God this. You need to make this a practice. Ask God this or ask yourself this. Is this decision going to honor God? If it's a financial decision, instead of asking the question, is this going to make me a ton of money? You might ought to ask, is this going to honor God? Right? Maybe it's a a clothing decision. Instead of saying or asking, is this going to make me look sexy? Maybe you need to ask the question, is this going to honor God? Seriously. Because let me say, this place is sometimes you just can't go because nobody asks the question, is this going to honor God? And it doesn't, right? So James is giving them a stern warning that you, you need to consult God. And it's not that he's, he's this control freak or he's this party pooper and he doesn't want you to do fun things or wear nice clothes or have nice things. It's not that. It's that God wants to lead and direct you. Why? Because we're trying to find his will, right? We're trying to stay on purpose, right? We're on purpose. We're in his will. We're trying to go down this road, run this race of being in his will. We make decisions sometimes that get us off of his will, right? And then we end up in a season of wondering until we come back and we realize and we humble ourselves again. And we come back and we go, okay, God, I blew it. You know what he says? He says, okay, let's let's start again. Let's go again. Let's try this again. You listen to me, do what I said, and let's go at it again. So look at this. He says this. This is what James is saying. He says, if you'll humble yourself and admit that you need help, he will delight in helping you. If you will believe the best about others, it will relieve your stress and a lot of reciprocity will kick in for your benefit. And if you'll consult with him first in every decision you make, he will guide you into paths that will lead to your ultimate good. Isn't that good? He knows what's in the cabinet. Right? He knows what's behind that door. He knows what's in that relationship if you don't judge it. Right? 
He knows what can happen if you believe the best about somebody instead of believing what everybody else believes about that person. And he knows that if you'll ask him and consult him, he can then turn around and lead you in the direction that you need to go. You ever hear this? You know, how do you know what, if God says to, what's, what God says to do? I've heard people say this. They say it's either yes, no, or woe. When you're asking God about something, he's either going to say yes, no, or he's going to say woe. And sometimes he says woe and we get offended when it's just not the right time. Right? Sometimes we want something now. Come on. And he's saying, whoa, it's not time. So what's James saying in chapter 4? Let's look at this. This is what he's saying. I want to sum it all up for you real quick. In chapter 4, because we've been on judging. We've been on believing the best about people. We've been on asking God for his direction and consulting him first. And he said, well, what does this have to do with God's will? We've talked about quarreling and fighting in the church. What James is saying is that you need to get serious in your relationship with Jesus. You need to push everything aside. You need to stay focused with him. You need to believe the best about people around you, right? You need to stay humble. You need to, you need to agree that you need help so that you can find his will. And then you just need to consult him. Amen? Just consult him. And it's not a big super spiritual thing. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes you don't even have to pray. Sometimes if you just listen to the spirit inside of you, it'll go. "Mm -mm." Sometimes it'll be your gut. I've been nauseous before when I've gone to do things and I go, hmm, is that the chicken I ate? Or is the Holy Spirit trying to tell me something? And that leads me to pray. It leads me to ask him, right? You want to be in God's will? I want to be in God's will. And not only do I want to be there, I want to stay there. Because you know what's there, right? There's relationship there. There's closeness there. And here's the funny thing about being in God's will and being close to God. You know, when the Bible says draw close to him and he'll draw close to you, is that, that's when your tank's full. That's when your tank gets full, right? When you're walking in a healthy relationship with Jesus, your tank gets full. You know what that means when your tank is full? That means you want less of what other people have and you just want more of what you're already getting, right? You want less of what the world has to offer you and want more of what God has to offer you, right? That's getting your tank full. That's keeping it full. I like to keep my tank full. I like for my stomach to be full. I don't like to hear it growl. Well, the same way it should be with my spirit. My spirit should never get hungry. Right? It should never have to growl at me. It should stay full. Let me give you two verses and then we'll, we'll end it there. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Matthew 6, 31 to 33 says, So don't worry about these things saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So what what happens if we all start doing that? 
What happens to our immediate family if we all start doing that? What about our world that we live in, our realm of influence that we talk about? What, what's going to happen there if we'll just start doing that? Huh? You think things are going to get better? I think they can. I think we can change the world around us. I think it starts with us. Amen? I'm glad you agree with me. How many of you agree with me? Raise your hand. Good. I want to give you a challenge. Ten-day challenge. We're going to do this for ten days. You might want to write this down. For the next ten days, I want you to believe the best about everybody you meet. How many of you will do that? Raise your hand this morning. How many of you will do that? Raise your hand. Come on. I got to see a hand. You'll do that. You'll believe the best about everybody you meet. You'll not judge them. You'll just believe the best about them. Okay? For ten days. And then for 10 days, how many of you will seek God first for every decision you make? Four of you, five, six, 10, 20, 30, 50. All right, good. You're getting me worried for a minute. I ain't asking God. You might, you might go against what I'm saying. What I want you to do is at the end of 10 days is I want you to evaluate what happened. I want you to write down your experience. Write down your, your feelings, your emotions, whatever you, you know, maybe you were wrong about some people. Maybe, you know, who knows? If you've got a great story, let me know. I'll share your story. But for 10 days, I want us to do that. Can you do that? And let's just see what happens. And I just want you to, I want you to, to make me this promise that if, if you see good things happen, I want you just to promise me that you're going to do your best to continue to do that. Just do your best. Just try to keep going, right? Because you know how it is. When we see change, I mean, it's kind of like this. If you, if you knew that you could go to the gym and the first day drop 20 pounds, how many of you know we would be in the gym, right? I mean, well, come on, Pastor, that's stupid. Well, yeah, I'd be in the gym. I'd go for five days and I'd quit, right? But when you see good things happen around you because of, you're changing heart, you're changing attitude. I'm going to tell you, it gets addictive. And you're going to start realizing that you can change the world around you. 